2: I'm Steve Mould. I'm Matt Parker.
3: I'm Helen Arney, and this is another podcast of Unnecessary Detail.
1: And if we're going to be honest, this whole podcast thing is just an excuse for us to talk about anything we find interesting in any level of detail we think it deserves. And today's topic is rings.
3: I've been looking at a ring that lives under the sea.
2: I've brought along a packet of bagels. And I'm talking about the very definition of life itself.
3: Ooh sounds deep but bagsy me first let's go rings
1: i think helen you've got a squid based ring
3: Mhm. so this is something i found out when i was commissioned by the natural history museum to write a play to be performed at the natural history museum it's the coolest you've thing
1: i have made I've some great career choices
3: yeah it's so cool and this is something i became slightly obsessed with so squid have donut shaped brains what? Yeah.
1: Isn't they've got a hole through their brain? They
3: have a hole running through the middle of their brain, which contains their esophagus. What? Right? So this is why squid have to chew their food properly. Otherwise, they give themselves brain damage if they eat chunks of food that are too big. So their mouth and mm-hmm. their stomach
1: are yeah. an opposite size of their brain. Exactly. And instead of the joining tube going, I don't know, around the brain... Yeah. It yep. goes straight through the middle of the brain.
3: Yeah. It's one of those quirks of evolution, isn't it? Like loads of animals have things like this as well. I mean, you know, humans have a thing like this. Giraffes have a thing. Steve, you uh, told well, me about all, this.
2: all Yeah. So mammals have this thing called a laryngeal nerve. It, it connects your larynx, which is your voice box, to your brain, which is quite a short distance. But the nerve goes from the larynx down to your heart, wraps around one of the arteries there and comes back up
3: that's not unreasonable in a human but it also happens in a, in a giraffe
2: yeah
3: right so the giraffe's laryngeal nerves are about five meters long but why ask evolution man. so
2: this is the I mean this is the interesting thing about evolution is like you sort of think that evolution is this amazing thing it's kind of not like it's, it's a great theory but evolution itself isn't great at designing things yes. so some previous animal the yeah. shortest distance from the brain to the larynx was
1: underneath yeah. this oh, artery and that's, and, right? that, and yeah. that's the fish Right. Yeah, oh, the, okay. Right.
3: In yeah. the fish, the heart was in one place, the brain was in one place, the larynx. What became well, the larynx? And it would all through. make sense. But then things moved, things drifted and, over and under and round each other. And
1: at no point did an animal accidentally have a nerve on the other side because, because it just because got evolu- dragged yeah. with it the
2: whole way off. Yeah. Because evolution happens by baby steps. Yeah. And you, so it's it's difficult to have a sudden jump like that a redesign. You can't overhaul things with evolution, that's the problem.
3: And it works. It's not that it doesn't work.
2: It's working right now.
3: It works, yeah.
2: And so with with the squid...
3: Yeah, it works. Can I tell you about the beak, though? Because the
1: beak... I feel like we need to unpack the beak. The
3: beak is amazing. So it's kind of the stuff of nightmares. I've genuinely had bad dreams about this since I found out about them. A, A squid beak looks like a parrot's beak. It's made of chitin, which is pretty much the hardest material known to man. It's a mixture of proteins and polymers. It's the same kind of stuff that makes insect exoskeletons and crab shells. But in the squid it is unbelievably strong and sharp so this is what they use to rip their prey into pieces on top of that even better inside the beak before it gets to the esophagus before it gets to the brain the food gets shredded up by something called a radula which is basically a tongue with teeth oh (laughs) no way and inside the kind of cheeks Ah. there are more teeth as well so it's like a little on the
1: tongue teeth 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 covered
3: conveyor belt that just crushes the food in small bits so The squid has resources to be able to get round its design issue of having a donut-shaped brain because it's got all the equipment it needs to crush its food into tiny, tiny pieces.
1: It fixed the issue just with more teeth.
3: Yeah, basically the solution to the donut-shaped brain is more teeth. So, squid beaks are the reason that we know sperm whales eat mostly squid. They're basically squid's only main predator because the beaks don't dissolve in the whale's stomachs. So, when you find Uh, a whale and you look into its stomach, it's. The whale
1: doesn't pass the beak.
3: No, it's just full of beaks.
2: Uh, (laughs) Full of beaks.
3: Can you tell why I've been having absolute nightmares about this recently?
2: This happens a lot in, in nature where you've got substances that are way stronger or better or more durable than anything we could make. They're no. essentially like smart materials.
3: It's incredible. Humans have not been able to produce anything that is harder to deform yeah. than a because, squid beak. Because so
2: we don't do it one protein at a time. That's no. That's the difference, yeah. So we should make things that are squid beaks.
3: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. Sure, if that's what you want to take away from this, that's fine. So squid are the reason that we know how human nervous systems work. And in 1963, squid won the Nobel Prize for physiology and medicine. Which no, they only squid. ever give it
2: no, they only ever give it to one squid. Yeah. the squid has to be alive. It's supposed to be alive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Up okay, so to
3: 3 squid can share okay. It wasn't squid. It was the zoologists who were studying squid nerve cells to find out how electrical signals travel down nerve fibers in humans and they're the ones who won it. So it's Hodgkin and Huxley and um someone else called John Eccles. They basically got giant squid axons which doesn't mean they were from giant squid. They were just from like your ordinary North Atlantic squid, but they were giant, right? So the thing with squid axons, which are like giant squid nerve cells, is that they're a thousand times thicker than human nerve cells. So you can basically stick electrodes in them and find out how nerves communicate from one end to another. And this had never been done before because it wasn't possible to like poke a little electrode into a human nerve cell and find out how it communicates. But they discovered that squid have these massively thick, massively long nerve cells and they can do experiments on them. That's amazing.
2: So basically in nature, there's this large version of what's going on in our nervous system. Yeah. But you can study because we yeah. can get electrodes on it.
3: Yeah, that's exactly cool. what happened. And the thing that you probably know about squid, which is the reason I can never eat calamari again, is they have an incredibly complex nervous system and cephalopods are really smart. They've got incredibly developed eyes and digestive systems, all this stuff, amazing. And the reason that they're so useful is because squid, in essence their nerve cells are so similar to ours that you can basically say that it's doing the same things as is happening inside our bodies, but just on a really massive scale.
2: Why are they so thick?
3: Well, one of the reasons is because squid need to be able to react incredibly quickly. So their main predators are sperm whales.
2: Which we know because of all the beaks. <laughs> all the beaks. We know
3: because of all <laughs> the beaks. And um, who can move at about 35 or 45 kilometres per hour. You don't think squid are capable of moving particularly fast rate. When squid are in a hurry, when they coordinate all their muscles and blast out a huge amount of water in a big jet, they can move at around 36 kilometers per hour. They can absolutely get a wriggle on if they need to. And one of the reasons that- It's
2: jet jet propulsion, isn't it? Yeah, jet propulsion.
3: So they send a signal down their massive axon to contract the muscles and squeeze out all the water. Now, there's this quirky thing about physics that you'll know if you know anything about electrical resistance, that there's less resistance in a thicker wire than a thinner wire. Yeah, and the
1: old cross-section of the wire.
3: Yeah, cross-section wire, inversely proportional resistance. So the thicker the wire, the lower the resistance. So squid nerves can communicate faster because they're thicker, which means they have
2: The reaction time is better. They can get away from the whales.
3: Yeah, pretty much.
1: What I love is that's probably just some kind of innate reaction. They're not thinking about it. There's a whale and boom. So from the squid's point of view, suddenly a second later, there are 10 meters that way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No idea. How would I get here? Oh, there's a whale where I was. Good, good. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Glad I avoided that one. There's something else about these particular type of squid that were experimented on by Hodgkin and Huxley in the first place. They have a nerve response that's connected to their camouflage ability. So a dead long fin inshore squid, which is the type that they experimented on, you can get a music player and some headphones, cut off the earbuds from the headphones so that you've got a wire that has the electrical signal from the music. If you plug that into a squid. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) When the bass kicks in, the electrical signal from the music will trigger off the chromatophores.
1: This is a dead squid?
3: Yeah, so it's a dead squid, unfortunately. But its ability to camouflage itself is based on these chromatophores in different colors, which it uses electrical impulses to open up. And reveal these colours, and that's how it creates these different combinations of colours. But if you put a music signal,
1: that's enough to trigger this process. Yeah, it
3: does the same thing as an electrical nervous signal, but it's an electrical music signal. You can basically disco, disco your squid. That's amazing. Why that's, is
2: it when the bass kicks in? Maybe it's just got to, it's got to be that low frequency.
3: it's I think that's the current or the whatever the the voltage or yeah. the current is on the right threshold to trigger off the force so so scientists have done this yeah yeah i've seen videos uh Mm -hmm. and now i'm like how can i get hold of some old headphones and a squid yeah i really want to do that
1: you've stopped eating squid um but 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 (laughs) you
2: procure a dead one for your
3: own entertainment something else i found out squid can't be farmed or bred in captivity
2: so any if you want to do any kind of experiments with squid you have to go and get them
3: you have to go and get them why is that they don't survive in captivity they can't be bred Gosh. And that's why the examples of them are so rare. So that's why there's this eight and a half and a bit metre giant squid in the back of the Natural History Museum. Because it's
2: a big deal to have one.
3: It's a huge deal, yeah. Oh. yeah. One That's quite a big one. They can grow bigger, but that's a particularly fine example. When squid die, they release ammonia. So when they did the dissection before preservation, uh, the whole Natural History Museum smelt of wee. <laughs> that's quite a joyful fact.
2: That's the excuse that the uh, the researcher gave anyway. (laughs)
3: Yeah.
2: This podcast is part of the ACASH Creator Network. Okay, Matt's brought snacks. I've brought in... Well, there should be donuts.
1: We've gone for bagels because they're a bit more structurally integral. The challenge is, can you cut the donut into as many pieces as possible with just two cuts? So while they're trying that, I'm going to clarify the cuts have to be straight. In mathematics, we would say you're dividing it up by using planes. So like a flat surface, which you're just going to... A plane intersecting a torus. Yeah, yeah. You're you're allowed up to two planes intersecting the torus. What's the maximum number of pieces you can get?
3: Well, I'm thinking four.
1: Yeah, it it feels like four, doesn't it? Well, what's the most you can get with one? Two, two, yeah, you're right, absolutely correct. So if you, there's several ways you can cut it. So Steve has got his knife coming down straight down to the donut. So you're going to have like a C on one side, and the mirror image of a C, <laughs> most of a D, I guess, mm-hmm. on on the other side. The other option is what Helen's doing, which is like slicing it as you would if you're going to toast it. So which you're slicing it is in half what I intend to do.
2: I'm looking at that slice that I was going to do and the one that Helen's going to do. I feel like once I've done that, I can, I can. In my mind's eye, I can see the second slice coming in, and I'm not—I'm only getting four. Well, and yes. I assume it's got to be better than four, it's otherwise six. it's a super
1: six, six. You should what? be able to get six different pieces with just two cuts.
2: Spoiler: both your first cuts aren't going to work. How what about it, like this? Oh, that, actually. Yep, that's it, Steve. Okay, so I took that normal straight down cut like I was slicing a cake or a pizza or something like that, and I just angled my knife. So the first yeah. cut gives you two
1: wedge-shaped horseshoes. Then, if you think <gasps> about it, because they're shaped like a U, if you just had one of them, a single cut would cut two end bits off. Yeah. So you've just got to do that, so you cut two end bits off both of them, and that gives you additional four uh, d- pieces, uh, which Steve has just done. So combined with the original two, you've oh now my got gosh, six.
3: Oh, gosh, I have made six. Yeah, six. Done.
1: For three cuts, you can get 13. Shut no.
3: up. No. <laughs> yes. You're
0: joking.
1: These are the, the number of pieces you can get when you divide a torus up or a donut with planes. And there's a whole family of maths problems, which are what's the maximum number of pieces you can cut given baked product into <laughs> with. <laughs> It's dividing space with planes is the actual thing we're doing here. And the, the classic is a cake. If you've got a cake, a bunch of cuts, how many pieces can you get? But the easiest one is called the lazy caterer problem, Ooh. which is if you've got a cake or a pizza or a pancake or something in front of you and you only cut down, so you're ignoring all these weird angles. If you're just yep. cutting straight down with a certain number of cuts, what's the most number of pieces you can slice something into?
3: Well, not one where they all go through the middle because surely you're missing out on bonus slices exactly if you all Mm. go through the center point yeah
1: so in fact each time you've got to stagger it so the first cut is always two because you're just cutting it in half the next time you can cut through both those pieces to then get one more each so you get two more so that's four the next time you're like oh what are we going to do and you can actually cut through three maximum of three at once to give you three more pieces Ooh. and the
2: next cut you can cut through a maximum
1: of four at once to get doesn't four it follow
2: more. this really nice pattern until you get to like the fifth or sixth cut like it looks like it's a geometric progression and then yeah you get that's what to-
1: oh you're thinking so- of regions in a circle oh, okay when you draw lines across it which is very very similar and that's the one that looks like it, it goes one two four eight And there's like, it's 15 instead of 16. Uh, And this one has got some very similar patterns in it. So when you're slicing up your pizza or something, the lazy caterer, it's the triangle numbers. It's one plus two plus three plus four Uh, plus five, but with one bonus uh, one. Because when you start with the thing, the first cut gives you the thing plus one extra piece. And the next time you get the thing plus one plus two. And so it's the triangle numbers. With an extra one, one on every yeah. level. Yeah. Right. And the donut, this one, you can compare this to cutting a cake without the hole in the middle. And the hole in the middle can just be considered an incomplete cut. Because the hole is as if you've cut through, but you didn't cut all the way through on each of the sides. You've just cut the middle bit. Oh, okay. And so at most, you can cut all but two regions. Best case scenario. So the donut cutting numbers are always two less than the equivalent cake cutting number because you get this weird half cut in the middle.
3: I'm genuinely hoping that people are listening to this whilst going round a supermarket and have now got either bagels or donuts in their basket. I mean,
1: cutting baked goods is uh, audio gold. I hope everyone's (laughs) enjoyed that. Uh, But yeah, get a donut, get a bagel, see if you can... Three
2: cuts, you should be able to share it between 13 people but they will not be equally happy. (laughs) Sounds like this idea that you've got two people, you wanna share a thing, the best way to make sure it's fair is one person has to cut the thing, the other person gets to choose the slice. That ensures that the first person cuts fairly because, the, you know, yeah. if, if they leave one bit too big, the other person's going to get it. There's an equivalent algorithm for three people. It generalizes. People? Yeah. yeah.
1: You can have N people. So that's the one cut one chooses. Yeah. And there's interesting ways of defining what fair is. So the, I think the definition for that is everyone's convinced they have their portion or more of what was being shared. Because if you cut first, yeah. you're going to cut such that you're happy that it's exactly 50 50. And if I'm choosing second, I'm going to look at it and either I agree it's 50 50 and I just take one, or if I think one's bigger than the other, I take what well, I, I perceive as the bigger one. So you can actually end up with more perceived value than what there was in the original object. Because mm-hmm. I might go, oh, that one's slightly bigger. And you're like, this one's exactly half and now we're in front. There's another family of solutions called the moving knife solution. So if we wanted to share this bagel here, I'm just going to grab the knife, between three of us, I'm going to start moving the knife continuously. And the first person who says stop gets that bit. And I'm allowed to say stop as well, right? Right, And so no one's going to say stop until they perceive that to be a third of what's there. Ah. Stop and boom. And then they get that, right? And then you can either cut and choose or you can continue moving knife.
2: But there are there are other... I feel like I feel like in that system you probably have the kind of something equivalent to the auction winner's remorse. You know what I mean? Where like, when you buy, win... buyers remorse you, yeah. you, you waited too long. Yeah, anyone who wins an auction is paying too much essentially. And I feel like whoever shouts first will probably regret it. Well,
1: it depends on your motivation because this is slightly different to an auction because you're not motivated to be first. Yeah. You're just motivated to shout when you think it's going to be too much so actually if someone else shouts early you're like oh fine i think
2: that was less than a third i'm happy with half of what's left because i think that's more than a third yeah that's true I suppose the issue is that for the system of just two people sharing, for that to work, the assumption is made that the cutter is a perfect cutter, or at least they perceive themselves to be a perfect cutter. Because in actual fact, what happens is, you know, you're presented with a brownie or whatever, and you're the one that has to do the cut. So you have to get it 50-50. You cut it and you go, oh,
1: bollocks. Yes, true. In theory, there's no motivation to game these systems all these fair division algorithms should be robust to people trying to game them. I see. They're I see. not robust to incompetence. I okay. that you've brought that up. Yeah, and they're thanks. not robust to... <laughs> if someone, anyone's
3: going to bring up If anyone's going to bring it up,
1: Steve's like, well, hang on. <laughs> what if we can't cut properly without making a mess of it? The other thing is, it's not robust to a malicious actor, someone being a jerk. Uh, some okay. are, some aren't. Because people are like, "Well, why don't you just do the kind of a repeated versions of the cut and choose algorithm? But if someone's a jerk they can take a comically small bit and then the next person gets a comically big bit and then someone else misses out. And so it's interesting how thorough you have to be to come up with an algorithm that will definitely be fair every time. And just finally, in conclusion, because I know some of our listeners are very practically minded, if you are wondering for any number of cuts, how many pieces am I going to get Mm -hmm. from my bagel slash donut? It's the number n cuts cubed plus 3n squared plus 8n, All divided by six.
0: Ooh. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Cubics.
1: Who knew? Wow. And Helen, what have you managed to do over there? I've
3: just been really quiet because I was thinking I could get eight (gasps) out of two cuts. But I don't think I can. You have to tell maths.
1: (laughs) Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
3: Steve, what have you got? That's ring shaped, donut shaped, bagel shaped.
2: Well, I'm actually going to talk about the ambiguity of the definition of life. Wow. So, how do you decide whether something's alive? Or is not? your leaping off point the circle of life? It <laughs> is. That, it is not. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, how do you like? What's the sort of traditional definition for something that's alive, or as opposed to something that is non-living? It living? can oh. replicate. Replicate's really good. So there's this, you know, Mrs. Gren thing. Yeah, I was right? going it... to say
3: Mrs. Gren is like yeah. m- movement, respiration. Yeah, yeah. something 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 grow respire
2: i like this reproduction thing things that reproduce you probably want some kind of variation in the reproduction so you can have evolution and things like that but then i suppose you could argue that an algorithm in a computer is alive if it reproduces like a computer virus is alive so it's difficult and it's actually quite hard to define what's alive like is a virus alive most people would say no that as in That's the accepted definition.
3: Because a virus can't exist outside a host.
2: Yeah, but then a parasite can't either. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, I would probably say that a virus is alive just about, even though it's essentially a handful of molecules. It's
3: just
1: a chunk of code. It's a chunk of code. That's exactly right. That takes
2: over the machinery in a cell. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, you've got this Mm, ambiguity. You're not so sure, right? Mm. I mean, it's difficult. So I want to just share this example that I think is really cool. And it's a ring of DNA. So think about what what is replication in biology? You're essentially replicating genes right so you can think of yourself you can think of your body you can think of any organism as really just a machine that is there to facilitate the copying of your genes and i do and that's how you think that's good i'm glad that you think about yourself in that way so for example a bacteria it's they've got their the genome it's a a jumble of genes and whenever the bacteria splits into two bacteria you've got a copy of the genes and that's the, the the whole point of the mm. bacteria cell, if you like, except that next to this jumble of genes in the bacteria, the bacteria's genome, you've got this circle, separate circle of genes. Sometimes, just like a ring of a DNA, r- a ring or of, of whatever. DNA, just
3: loose.
2: Yeah, just floating around, just rolling around. Sometimes, and this ring of DNA codes for the ability to make a little tube. So, you know what? this, so so dna codes for proteins yep. and those proteins do things then they they fold or join yeah, or whatever join up to chemistry chemistry, chemistry 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 oh uh biology so um oh, look we got a tube <laughs> yeah and so this tube pokes out from the bacteria and eventually you know it's everything's jumbling around it knocks into another bacteria cell it could be a completely unrelated bacteria and it will attach to this other bacteria the ring of dna also codes for the ability to make a copy of itself as in you know it will be it will be copied by the machinery of the bacteria and then that copy will be pushed through the tube into the other bacteria and that's all it does what? that's what it does there's
1: no benefit to the bacteria
2: no, it's, it's no possibly, not detrimental. It, it's not detrimental either. Well, we'll we'll get into okay, that. Okay, but it's it's a ring of DNA, yeah, which
1: then generates these enzymes or whatever, yeah, and a bunch of them form a tube, yeah,
2: and a bunch make a copy, yeah, and then and then some other machinery that it makes pushes the copy it.
1: through the tube. Yeah. That's great, and that's all you need
2: for life. Yeah, it can duplicate and spread. So, what is and it? I'm is alive. it alive? Is it alive? It, is it? It's not a virus it's not really part of the bacteria because it reproduces independently of the bacteria. It's just like a flatmate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
3: a flatmate who then copies itself into the flat next door. We've all had a
1: flatmate <laughs> like that. They're, they don't contribute, they're not helping, but they're not detrimental.
3: Is it more like the flatmate's partner who <sighs> has built a tunnel from their flat down the <laughs> corridor into your flat? and then insists on leaving their pants on the radiator.
2: <laughs> well, it's interesting that you should say uh, leave their pants on the radiator because you were talking about like is it uh, beneficial mm. or detrimental? One way it's beneficial is through horizontal gene transfer. So, the thing to know about all this kind of molecular machinery is that it's messy. It's like really stochastic. Everything's just bumping into each other and you hope that the right thing happens eventually.
3: And because things happen all the time eventually. Yeah. It will. Enough. It, it, this happens. Because
2: things are bumping into other all the time yeah. and eventually they'll snap together into the right arrangement. And so sometimes this ring of plasmid will be broken open by some machinery and it will be inserted into the genome of the bacteria. And then Ooh. later on it will be pulled back out again and reformed the ring but in that process it takes a little bit of the bacterial genome with it oh and it, so
3: it gets together with the whole flats worth of people yeah gives, <laughs> oh gosh
0: we're really oh, pushing okay, this we're analogy there, now, but yeah, go on. Yeah.
3: they give it something, something and then it leaves yeah
2: but and then, so so then a copy of the ring is made and it has that little bit of the bacterial genome with it which it passes into through the, the tube. <gasps> Ooh. So this new bacteria has some of the DNA of the original bacteria that it may not have had before. So it's like when your flatmate moves out but takes a bunch of cups and plates with them. Yeah. And yeah. they end up in the next flat share. Well, it's more like they take a copy of the cup with their 3D oh. printer and then takes it. And Normally, it's just a little fragment of DNA. It's not useful in any way. But very occasionally, it might confer something like antibacterial resistance. And this is why antibacterial resistance can spread so quickly. It's through a process called horizontal gene transfer. So, obviously, vertical gene transfer is parent to offspring. Horizontal is side to side. It'd be like if we shook hands and suddenly, you know, I had receding hair. Uh, or <laughs> <laughs> Just off the top of your head. <laughs> <It's>, it, literally. <laughs>
3: you um, joke. One of your housemates has done that to you? Yeah. It's,
2: uh, yeah. Um, there are other forms of horizontal gene transfer. One is mediated by viruses. So in a similar way, viruses hijack the uh, reproductive machinery of, of cells. And sometimes when the new bacteria capsids, the virons, the particles are being built they'll take a bit of the bacteria um, DNA with them and they'll take it to the next infected cell. So you get horizontal genes further that way. You also get it just when a cell dies and it spews their DNA into their environment. Sometimes some of that DNA will end up in the cell of another bacteria. Is
1: this like when people are like, well, what's the point of sex? Why have sexual yeah. reproduction? And it's because if you didn't, if you have a, a beneficial gene comes into existence, mutates into one organism, it's only going to go down to its offspring. But because if you're mixing genes between generation, you can get this horizontal mm. shift backwards and forwards. But if bacteria, they've just got to share it through
2: little, little tubes. Yeah, well, the little tube is called a sex pillus. Oh. Because yeah. <laughs> a, well, a pillus, uh, pili are common uh, structures on bacteria. The sex pilus is specifically for horizontal gene transfer
1: oh that's what the kids call it these days (laughs) 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 Well,
2: not specifically for that but it's i mean well so yeah you can argue that it's literally just this this ring making copies of itself but then sometimes it's beneficial because it can spread genes around between bacteria
3: but is this the thing that now scientists use to get chunks of dna that they want into places that they want them because that's when you said plasmids like that's how i know plasmids is is they're used as carriers to get chunks of dna i believe into things
2: i believe that's right so yeah if you wanted to for example make insulin then you would take the genes for insulin you'd snip them out of a human cell and you'd insert them into say um what, what do you make cheese with and beer Yeast. yes Sorry. <laughs> so you would say you i thought would, that was a trick question no it's just <laughs> you like i know milk. what you make with beer and cheese it's
1: a good time
2: <laughs> um yeah so you take you snip the genes out that you want and you put it inside yeast and you can also do it with e coli yeah it possibly with plasmids yeah i think that's right
3: the thing i found out about plasmids is uh they're classified as replicons
2: oh nice <laughs>
3: how good is that <laughs> I, I,
2: that's what i love actually is like It's a good illustration of just however, whenever you think you've got a neat classification in biology, something comes along that you just have to, you know, it's not a virus, it's not a cell, it's something else. It's a replicon. replicon. (laughs) Yeah. Another example is prions. They're the brain ones, aren't they? Yeah. So a prion disease is not caused by bacteria. It's not caused by viruses. It's not caused by protozoa. It's not caused by a fungi. Is it the weird folding one? It's the weird folding one. (sighs) So imagine this, it's a bit like what well, it's a bit like a zombie protein. So a prime disease is when you have a malformed protein, but it's this specific protein that when it touches another protein that isn't malformed, it malforms it in the same way. And then that protein will go off and malform other proteins. It's so weird. It's not a virus, it's not a plasmid, it's not a bacteria, it's it's a... like
3: a bad origami expert that's like contagious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's
2: contagious bad origami.
1: Well, we have come full circle, like some kind of ring. So thanks to you for listening.
3: Don't forget there's also show notes for this episode at festivalofthespokennerd.com slash podcast, including videos of colour-changing disco squid, some photos of our bagel cussing experiments, and a handy diagram of a sex pillus.
2: <laughs> sex pillus. <laughs> <laughs> We really appreciate you spreading the nerd about this podcast. By the way, the more people listen, the more of these we can make.
1: And the more we make, the more people can listen. It's like a circle.
3: so we make other stuff as festival of the spoken nerd as well we've recorded these three big spangly live science comedy specials uh they're all available to download in full hd for just three pounds 14 pence each uh that's pi pounds if you
1: like in a circle (laughs)
3: like a circle okay mm. uh that's from festival of the spoken dot com slash shop and all the usual places you can find it on itunes amazon google play youtube movies you name it you'll probably find it uh, you can also get our books t-shirts bbc radio series all from the website as well you can even get our theme music if you like it that much uh, which i do so until next time we'll see you then bye-bye Bye. see you round like a circle <laughs>
2: A podcast of Unnecessary Detail is made by Festival of the Spoken Nerd. That's Matt Parker, Helen Arney and Steve Mould with music by Howard Carter and design by Adam Robinson. Our brilliant producer is John Harvey. Thanks for listening.